morning, church. Take out your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, where we're going to be uh, here this morning. And uh, we're going to start in verse 10. So if you wanted to go ahead and flip over there and find that spot. I want to mention two things up front for you real quick. Uh, the first thing I'm very, very excited about, and um, you may have seen this somewhere and not paid much attention to it, so I want to highlight it to you this morning, and that is a class that is going to be offered starting this Wednesday night right here on this campus. I want to introduce you to an incredible man, Dr. Jim Rout. Um, Dr. Rout is a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary. He earned his PhD in New Testament from the University of Sheffield in England. He taught at the Nairobi International School of Theology in Kenya, and he currently trains pastors and people in the ministry in Southeast Asia online, actually people from all over the world. And Dr. Rout has agreed to provide his course in theology for us here at Bannockburn for no charge to you. And you will have the incredible opportunity to walk side by side with this wonderful man of God for, I think, 10 to 12 weeks. Usually he's sitting right over here somewhere looking for him. Uh, anyway, can't, he's up there. All right, stay right there. Wave at everybody. Wave at everybody. Okay, so I, I wanted you to know he's right under your nose. What a gift of God to the kingdom abroad around the world. And he's right here under our nose. And he's going to teach this lesson. And I'm going to tell you, um, one thing I would, I would do if I were you if, you, if you really want to be challenged in your faith, there's two uh, courses that pastors like myself have to take in seminary. And it's called Systematic Theology. You have Systematic Theology 1 and Systematic Theology 2. And basically it takes a summary of the whole Bible and it puts it into theological structures to help you know what has God said about X. God's revelation about man, all these things. You build your theology based on these structures. And it's so, so helpful. I mean, it's so deep and rich. But yet, at the same time, through the, the valley of the, 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 um, the work that it takes to study God's Word, at the end comes this great clarity. And it's theological clarity, and it's really, really beneficial. If you want a challenge in your faith to be um, deeper in your understanding of your faith, you want to be challenged about what you think about certain things that maybe you haven't processed before. This is an incredible study, and it's done by an incredible man, and it starts this Wednesday night. I encourage you, Bannockburn, pack this class out. It will bless your heart. And I just wanted to, to let everyone know that, and, um, and also the gift that God has given us right here under our nose with Dr. Rout. And so thank you, Dr. Rout, for being willing to do that for us. Amen. Amen. So, so go and join that this Wednesday, this Wednesday night. Drop your kids off at Awana, your middle schooler off at the student area, and head up to this class. It'll bless you. Okay, I know some of you have other classes going on, and all those are wonderful. I uh, just wanted to highlight this one because it's starting for the first time uh, this Wednesday night. Also, Thrive is coming up for our student ministry. And um, let me speak to you on a little bit different angle as a pastor. My heart is troubled right now, and I just want to let you in on my trouble. Um, if there is ever a time when we need a boost of God's grace into our student ministry, through our student ministry, into our world, into our community right now, it's now. Right now, over the last two years, every student ministry I know of has had the wind knocked out of it by the constant waves of the pandemic and all these sorts of things. 
Student ministries are struggling all across our nation. And yet at the same time, students in our communities, at our schools, are struggling more than they ever have before. Anxiety and depression are on, um, on, on, up and to the right on, in, a, in a big, big way. I just heard a statistic just the other day that said at Bowie High School, over 80% of the students at Bowie High School are engaging in some form with alcohol and drugs. 80% plus. I know that's an uptick from what it had to have been before two years ago. It has to be. Um, and and I'm, I'm feeling deeply a spiritual apathy come upon our students. And the way you counter that as a church is not by hoping it gets better. The way you counter that is by the people who are involved, parents, myself, our staff, our student ministers, our adult volunteers, we rally together and we chase Jesus Christ and we provide an alternative that brings grace and spiritual flourishing to the hearts of our students. Amen? But it takes us leading. We have to lead. We have to decide this is the most important thing and we have to go in that direction. We have to decide in this direction and we have to move in this direction and we have to do it together and create some momentum that creates an alternative to the darkness surrounding our students in the world they are. We have to move in this direction. And so I want to encourage you parents. I'm one of you. I have students. I know how they think. And I know if I left their involvement up to student ministry or even school attendance up to their choice, they would never be in school. I have to come in and I have to reinforce them. I have to lead them in what is right, true, and good. And I have to help. And so we're asking you parents to come alongside us. We need to make these moves. We need to make them now more than ever because the gravity against the Lord in their world is more than ever. Right now. And they will be influenced in ways that are very harmful for them. They will be. And so what do we need? We need each other. You can't do it alone as a parent. I can't do it alone. We need each other. We need a ministry. We need these students to lean in together. And I believe we just make that commitment today. But it plays into Thrive. Thrive it just happens to be that Thrive is placed in February, right next month. It's an opportunity for us to come together and to rethink re-engage about how we're thinking about student ministry and, and pour into our kids, okay? So I just wanted to sort of let that spew out of my heart <laughs> for you this morning. Um, I'm really troubled about the condition. I'm talking to parents, and I'm just building this troubled sense in my own spirit, and I want to do something about it, and I hope you'll join me. And join me today, parents, in the meeting across the, the courtyard here in the gym. Today. Oh, sorry, it's not in the gym. It's right here in this room. Okay, right after this service. So join me in here. And let's start talking about and praying toward um, doing, seeing God do something great in our students' lives. Amen? Okay. We are in week four of our blessed series. If you remember the acrostic, B, begin with prayer. That's where it all starts. That's where the journey of God using our lives uh, in this world to impact, being a part of something bigger than ourselves, living a life. You have to plug into something bigger than you, and that is the kingdom work of God. The way your individual life makes a difference is you have plugged into the plan of God. You, plan in, you plug into his kingdom and you, re, you receive all the resources of a life that makes an impact in this world. You're part of something bigger than you and, and, and it affects you. So beginning with prayer, but then L, listen, learning how to impact people's lives through listening well. And then E, eat around food and hopefully some of you this week even thought about using your meals and 
just building relationships with people over a meal. It's a powerful source to do that. And today, it's all about serve. And Pastor Casey went through the great, uh, the Good Samaritan story with you guys so well. Um, I am going to actually go a different direction than to talk about the Good Samaritan. I'm going to actually come into Matthew chapter 5. And I'm going to read from verse 10 to 16. And there are multiple dynamics that are, that are all happening here. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Lots of dynamics flowing out of this text. But I'm going to read and I'm going to take it from a little bit different angle. But it's the same thing. Jesus gave it in story form with the Good Samaritan. He gave it in doctrine form in the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And to, I'm going to go in the doctrine form because you've already got the story form. So Matthew 5, I'm going to read from 10 to 16. And then I'm going to read, and I'm not going to stop. I'm just letting you know. I'm going to skip down because you're going to wonder where I am. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. So I'm going to read verse 10 to 16, and then I'm going to drop down to 43 to 48. Read along with me. Let's meditate on God's word together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, I mean, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, commit this time to you, and Lord, we set it aside from the common things. And this moment is a focused engagement with the God of the universe, together with his people. And Lord, we pray by your spirit that you would guide our hearts, unpack your word, shine light into our hearts, teach us, make us the kind of people who are used by you for incredible things. You have made us for a purpose. And Lord, fill us with what we need to live fully in that. So take charge right now and speak to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you want your life to count for something much greater than, than you in this world, then we need to develop the skills of blessing the people around us. It isn't really rocket science it's not really complicated it's actually pretty pretty simple according to Jesus however however it's simple but that doesn't mean it's easy 
if you're going to be used by Christ in big ways of making an impact in this world, he will call you to live in a way that is against your own nature in many ways. So, so be prepared to battle your own instincts and tendencies. He will also call you in many ways to live in ways that are counter to the culture around you. So be prepared for the tension that that creates. Be prepared to face hardships, resistance, pressures, and even pain. Now, if you want your, if you don't really care about your life counting, well, then just fit in. Just do what your instincts tell you and just fit in to the culture around you. But that's not a life of impact. A life of impact, in many ways, counters our own instincts and counters our own culture around us. And Jesus said, if you want to plug your lives into the great movement of God in the world, and we seek to live for him and have our lives count for his kingdom, uh, it's going to be that you're going to have an impact like salt has an impact and like light has an impact. Salt in Jesus' day, let me set this up for you a little bit. Salt in Jesus' day was used for two things. If you haven't heard this, it's a great setup for understanding the idea of salt and its impact. Two things it was used for. First was to keep meat from decaying quickly. Um, see, this is where Texas brisket comes from, right? You, you get meat in the first century, and you don't want it to spoil quickly because you want it to, to, to last. You can use it more. Um, so you put salt and rub salt all over it. And the salt works its way into the fiber of the meat, and it's a preservative. And so it won't decay as quick. It keeps it at bay. Another way, re, way that salt was used is the same way that we use it. You just sprinkle it onto food, and it brings out and enhances the flavor of what it is that you are, are cooking, and it makes it pleasant. It adds, adds a, a nice touch to the taste buds, um, and that's the way that salt was used. And so we can think of this as this way when he says that you are the salt of the earth. In other words, your presence as you walk with me, the impact that you have is going to, to keep darkness, to keep uh, evil, sin at bay on the earth. You are in a sense uh, a preservative of what is good. And you are keeping uh, the decaying things of a dark world and a corrupt world at bay. That in your presence and in your walk with me and giving your life to me and let me use your life, you're going to have that holding back decay type of impact in, on the earth. But you're also, as you do that, you're going to add flavor of joy and fullness of life for the human experience on the earth. You're also going to add flavor and joy uh, to the earth as you commit your life to me and let me use your life for my own kingdom's sake. I am going to bring my kingdom about through you, through you in this way. But then he says, you're light. And light to a first century Jew would have meant a couple of things. One, truth. 
God gives light to us by his revelation. He, he reveals himself to us, and this is like light, okay? Um, so truth, we are a people of truth, what God has said, how it, how, how it affects the world, how the world works. Being a people who know what reality is and living accordingly is a people of light. But also, along with salt being a joy source, light is also a source of joy. When a first century person, uh, you think about the power being out. You remember those days? Your power was out. It's dark at night. You don't invite the neighbors over, right? Uh, you basically just try to get by because it's dark. You can't see. Candles are lit everywhere. You got flashlights. It's just dark. Well, that was life for a first century person. Darkness was dark. They had oil lamps, fire, um, very few sources of light, and then the moon and the stars. I mean, that was it. And, and so darkness was dark. And then when the, when the dawn hits, though, and those light rays come across the earth and everything starts to light up, you can see it for what it is. You're not as afraid of, of, as, of what you were. You, you, thought, you thought about the boogeyman under the bed while it was dark, but now you don't care. You'll stumble up in anywhere. Because why? It's light. Light gives you confidence, peace, joy, life, light. This is the idea. And he's saying you produce that on the earth. Truth and joy. The revelation of God, the covenants of God, knowing who God is, we provide that on the earth as his people. And this is the impact that we have on the earth. And with these thoughts in mind, a little bit of an undergirding of the text, uh, uh, let me give you a few things regarding the dynamics of living a life that makes a difference. Living a life that makes a difference. Number one, be absolutely abandoned to Jesus Christ. Principle number one, be absolutely abandoned to Jesus Christ. Jesus says in this, don't do two things. Two things are the way that you won't have an impact. And number one is don't lose your saltiness. He says if salt loses its saltiness. Uh, the second is don't cover your light. Don't hide it under a bowl, he says. These are the, the two instincts that we can have when we begin to live for Christ and we enter into a world where we are living this way, and everyone around us is living that way. Have you ever experienced this? Well, when you do, when you live in this, this, this kind of reality, this is where Jesus is telling us to live, you live in this reality. What he's saying is, is don't lose your saltiness. What does that mean? He says this, when you're living in a context and you're living this way and they're living that way, you want to ease the tension. And one way to ease the tension, because tension doesn't feel good. I mean, you know, you, you, you're feeling there's tension here, and you're different, and, you're, and there's some, there's some um, strain in this type of lifestyle. And to ease the tension, what you might do is go, you know what, I'm just going to face this way. I'm going to become like them. It feels much better. Just go with the flow. Just fit in, students. Just go with it. Just be like them. You know, at least you'll be accepted. You'll be invited to parties. You won't be made fun of on social media. You know, just be like them. Just go along with it. And Jesus says, that is losing your saltiness. You've become like everything else around you. And everything around, and salt has lost its taste. Salt's lost its benefit. You've lost your benefit. You've lost your impact. You're no longer different and separate and providing. Now you're just like everything else and you've lost it and it's not useful. You're not going to have a life that impacts if you lose your saltiness. You just become like everybody around you. So the point here is Jesus is saying when you're in this context and you know I'm living this way and others are living this way, stay abandoned to me. 
Stay in that tension. Um, I had a guy ask a question. I thought it was so good. He says, if, if Jesus came to you and asked you to cut off your right foot and live the rest of your life as his will, the rest of your life you're to live maimed, no right foot, what would your response to him be? And he goes, here's your appropriate response. If he is who he says he is, and he did for you on the cross what he says he did, and he really rose from the dead and has for you one day everything he really says, your appropriate and instinctive response to him should be how high? Ankle or knee? Now let me reassure you, he's not going to tell you to harm yourself. That's not the will of Jesus. He's not going to tell you to carve yourself up. But you had better have that kind of abandonment to him if you're going to walk with him. And here's why. Because if you're going to follow him and you really want him to use you, he is going to take you into tension. He'll be faithful to you there. He'll provide what you need there. He will use you in a mighty way there, but it will perhaps be painful. And it's in those moments that if you have a, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm trying Jesus out type of approach with Jesus, you know what you do when this tension comes in? You go, I, don't, I can't take it. That's what you do. You need to be abandoned to Christ if you want to live for him and you really want to live a life of impact. It takes abandonment to Christ. Faithfulness to Christ. Don't lose your saltiness. Secondly, be fully engaged in the body of Christ, the church. Now, in this text, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And everywhere you see the word you, Y-O-U, in the whole text, it's all plural. In other words, if you were a good Texan, he would be saying, y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world. Y'all together. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is he talking about? He says, I am going to build a collective group, a body of people together. And as they continue to multiply, I am going to take over the earth through the gospel. And I'm going to keep building this church. And they're going to take over everything. And they're going to get all the way to the gates of hell. And even the gates of hell will not stand because of their advance. They can't be stopped. All right, that's what Jesus said. And, and here he's saying, you're the light of the world. You're salt of the earth. You're going to advance. You're going to have impact as you're faithful to me. But he's talking in a sense about the body of Christ. Having this type of impact on the world. It's a collective body. That, that we even as a collective body have an impact in our local communities. And in our state. In our nation. In our world. That we together, even known together, have this sort of thing. The thing I'm pressing against here is... Sometimes we can think that there's just some people that are just salt of the earth. You know, they're just salt of the earth. And there's some people that just aren't. And really, Jesus is talking about a collective body, the church. So we even as a church have to think about 
how we're entering into the tensions of our community, entering into the tensions and the perceptions of our, of our society that in which we live, and that we are providing light and salt impact in the community together as a collective whole, as a church. So we together have this impact as well. And so you think about the gathering and the scattering ministry of Christians as we gather together in worship, salt among salt, light among light. We all together, we get our hearts full again and we scatter back out into the community and we are spent in our impact. And then we gather together again and encourage our hearts and then we got scatter back out. And it's very much like salt shaker kind of stuff. But this is how Jesus is talking about when he says that we are the light of the world. So be involved, be engaged in the body of Christ and be engaged in the rhythms of gathering and scattering and gathering and scattering and we together all the time as we do that are being light and being salt in our world. Thirdly, be involved in your community. Be involved in your community. The other temptation, here it is, the other temptation when we're in that tension and we're living this way and everybody else is living this way and there's tension that's created, one other temptation that many people do, many Christians do in this type scenario, instead of staying present and, and staying committed to Christ and letting the effect have its way, they isolate themselves out of it. They go, that's too much tension and you know what, I'm, I'm going to get out of it. Because it's too much tension. I'm going to go over here with other people and we're all facing in the same direction. We're going to huddle up and we're going to build a wall around ourselves. And we're going, and it feels good over here because everybody's facing in the same direction. I feel like I fit in. I feel like I belong here. But I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to stay over here in isolation. And we pull out. We stay in our cars. We stay in our garages. We stay in our houses. We stay with our friends, our circles. And we don't intentionally make moves into our community with people who don't see the world the way we see it. We intentionally avoid these areas that are totally appropriate, that Jesus would want us involved in. And he's saying, what you're doing is you're hiding your light. And the light has to be in the midst to, to provide the benefit. you got to be in the midst. you got to be there. you got to be worked into the fabric of the people around you that aren't living for the Lord to, to have that type of impact. You're putting a bowl over a light. You're huddling up and you're putting a bowl over the light. You're keeping it among us. And he's saying, what does that mean? Well, think about how salt works too. You know, um, we don't put a salt block in the kitchen so that it flavors our food. You know, it's salt blocks over there, it flavors our food. No, you, you gotta get that salt block down to powder and then you got to get it into your food, and then you got to spread it around in the food at the right amount, and then it benefits. It's got to get down into the food uh, to preserve meat. It's got, it can't be a salt block over there and meat sitting on the counter next to it, and it preserves it. No, it's got to work its way into the meat. The salt has to get on the meat into fibers and down into the fiber of the meat, work its way into the meat to have, have the effect. And, and what Jesus is basically saying is, no, 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 work in your life, into the world around you, get into all the little fibers, all the little avenues and the ways in which you can get involved in your community and get in there and be Jesus. Get in there. Um, we're, uh, yesterday, I'm sitting, on a, I'm sitting in my chair and I'm pondering that thought. And I look over at Christy and I go, I'm wondering, 
in our neighborhood, is there like a community bulletin board or something where people talk about what's going on in the neighborhood or anything like that? <laughs> I know there is. And all y'all are like, yeah, where have you been the last 15 years? I didn't know there was stuff like this. But there's an app. Help me. I, lost, I forgot it in dripping too. What's it called? Y'all all just said a big jumbly word. Oh, next door app. Okay. So I was like, she's like, yes, there's a next door app. I've been on it for years. Uh, and, and I'm over here going, there's that, there's that, what, you know, I, I'm like clueless. And so I get on there and I'm like, and I'm like, well, is it good? I mean, is it, he said, yeah, some people try to gossip. Some people say some bad things, especially in political season, like neighbors get all tangled up. Um, but I got on there and the big story was what are we going to do? The coyote running the streets, watch out for your pets. Um, so anyway, uh, I thought, well, this is really cool. But I thought, what a great avenue for me as a Christ follower to get on and contribute positive language, encouraging, to represent Christ well. Also, other people will communicate needs they have. And if I am able, and, and I'm, I'm able and, and I have the time or whatever it might be, and I see someone in my neighborhood that has a need, there it is. I mean, it's on a platter. Like we can go and do a good thing for someone who says they need something. Man, they need a ladder or whatever. I mean, like if I have the ability to do it, it's an opportunity for me to do something in my community. But Jesus is saying work into the fibers of the world around you. Be intentional about it. Don't just be passive and hope that you get slung into these scenarios. Work into these things. Be a person who, in, who intentionally pursues to be a contribution, to be a contribution to your society around you. Intentionally choose to put yourself in the midst. Now that's a different thing, isn't it? Than to, oh, I just happen to be. No, intentionally pursue it. So salt has to get out. Salt has to get in. Fourthly, be humble and gracious. Be humble and gracious. You can't be salt and light when you're looking down your nose at certain people. And this is when we're getting into love your enemies. We're not talking about just people that are nice to you being nice back. We're talking about people that hate you. Love them. What are the implications of such a thing? It means you cannot look down your nose at any other human being. Not even in your heart. They are a human being deserving of love. Worth love. And by the way, church, this is a popular thing. We are contributing to society as a church, a doctrine. You know what the doctrine is called? Imago Dei. It happens to be a value that is being championed around by all people in our nation right now. And that is wonderful. That is our contribution to this society. And they're taking it and running with it. Now other doctrines that we also uh, contribute, they're wanting to kill us for. But they will take Imago Dei, equality, human being, inherent rights and privileges as a human being, respect of a human being, made in the image of God. That is our doctrine. That is our revelation from God that we have provided this community. Right now, it makes us favorable in their, in their sight. But it's ours. Um, think about this. You can look down your nose, educated, non-educated. 
We can take that social construct that is there and we can blast through it and we can say, no, it's not a thing. Human being. We can go one ethnicity over another. Amago Dei. No, human being. Bad behavior over good behavior. Those people. And they should know better. And they should be ashamed of that. And you can, you can begin to lift your nose up just a little bit about them. And here's what you need to do. Good Christians, good Christians will perceive bad behavior from people as thinking about their own sins as planks and the sins of others as specks. Think about the worst behaving person around you and think about having the attitude toward them that says, I am far worse, if not but by the grace of Jesus into my heart. In fact, I probably was worse. And in my heart, I'm probably a lot worse. And I was a dark sinner, hater of other people, selfish, proud. I was the worst. But by the grace of God, he made me new. They are much more reachable than I was. This is the appropriate position and attitude of a Christian. I am the greatest sinner. And so when people misbehave, the first thing I go to is, oh, but without the grace of God, where would I be? I'd be in the same boat or worse. They just need the grace of Jesus. That's humble. And that requires humility and grace. Vaccinated over non-vaccinated. You say, oh, he's talking on a nerve. Those people that just keep telling me to get vaccinated, you know what I can tell them? Those haters of humanity who won't get vaccinated and protect other people around them, you're looking down your nose at another human being. Be careful. You can have an opinion, a conviction, absolutely. Don't start lifting that nose. They're a human being. Don't even say, Raka. You worthless person. That's what Raka is. Jesus said, you do that, you're in danger of hellfire. You respect that human being. Don't ever hurt another human being with your words or with even your thoughts. It takes humility and grace to perceive humanity this way and the condition that they are in. Liberal or conservative. The Samaritan was polar opposites of the Jew he helped theologically and politically polar opposite and what did he do he loved him sacrificed money for him paid for his hotel room handled all of his medical bills a person polar opposite and Jesus says that now that's what I'm talking about love your enemies longhorn or Aggie you see he came with a dagger on that one Y'all get the flow, right? If you're going to do that, humility and grace, you have to have a humble heart. you got to see people the way God sees people. Fifthly, be motivated by the right things. This is just a word of warning. Jesus does care about motive. When you do good deeds, he cares about what you're motivated by. A couple of things that can happen here is that you're motivated by a need to be needed. 
be careful with that. Um, there are scenarios where an alcoholic husband and a wife kind of just struggling with an alcoholic husband and after a while the, the wife begins to kind of need to be needed and it becomes this weird codependency thing. It happens. It's real. And it's part of the sinful heart. It's an unhealthy place. I have seen where the husband who's an alcoholic and she struggled for years and she becomes identified with being the person who just keeps putting up with it. And the husband gets saved, forgiven, and he starts living right. And the wife divorces him. She needed to be needed. And so that's unhealthy. Be careful with that. Um, another one, a motivation that's common is to be seen and appreciated for your acts of service. That I'm going and I'm doing something so that others will see what I've done. And you say, I would never do that, but in your heart. But in your heart. And Jesus says, here's the one way you cannot even be tempted with that. Don't tell anybody and do it anonymously. Don't tell anybody and do it anonymously. Do it in private. And Jesus says, you won't have a heart issue then. So don't be going to do things with appreciation in your mind or or look what I've done, or look at me, none of that. What is our motive? What is the motive? Here's the motive. We have experienced Jesus love us, a sinner, dark, in desperate need of love. And he loved us. And he loved me. And I have been changed. And me, a desperate sinner, wants other desperate sinners to know he can do that for them too. That's it. And if there's a need, I'll meet it, but I want you to know this Jesus. That's it. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I do it, I do the good deed for goodness sake alone. All for Christ who loved me. That's it. And Jesus says that, that's, where you, that's what I'm talking about right there. Then be willing to make the sacrifice. It all is summed up in this one word, that they will see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Listen to the response. When you are salt and light, there's two responses. Some people are going to praise and some people are going to persecute. When you are really salt and light, you will have both of these happening in your life. It's the balance of love and truth. Love and truth, all right? If you are all truth and no love, you'll get some persecution because you're just a jerk. And people don't like you, right? And then you're getting, because you're obnoxious, you're insensitive, you're coming across proud and arrogant, you're all truth and no love, you'll get some persecution, no doubt about that. You're all love and no truth, you'll be very attractive. People will praise you. You won't get persecution. But if you are truth and love, represented consistently, you will see people praise and you will see people persecute. It will be a dynamic there. And he says these are two things, that the way the world reacts to us. Be willing to make the sacrifice. Be willing to make the sacrifice. Now here's the thing. In the Bible, love is a verb. Love is a verb. Um, love is sacrifice. Love is the person being willing 
to sacrifice his time, his schedule, his plans, his money, because he saw a need. The sacrifice. Love is equal to sacrifice in the Bible. So you're giving up some things. You're giving up things that are yours. You're giving up things that other people wouldn't be willing to give up as much. You're willing to give them up. Why? Love. This is love. Sacrifice for the welfare of another person. It always requires sacrifice to do a good deed. It might require just a little, but it requires something of you. Inconvenience, time, money, uh, interest. When you get around someone and their life's falling apart, you stumbled up into a conversation and this person is just unraveling a mess. You know, you know you have in your heart. You're like, mm, okay, how long is this going to take? I just, whew, their life sounds really heavy. Um, how long? I didn't really, I didn't really mean to get into this, right? You're feeling the burden start stacking up in your arms, right? You feel their burden. And you know what? You probably start thinking, I got my own burdens, you know. I got deadlines and to-do lists, and I got my own burdens. I got to carry tensions I have to relieve in, in, in my life and demands that are on me. And, I'm, and now I'm getting stacked up with this other person who has this other need. Um, and, and you can feel the, the sacrifice being put upon you. And what Jesus is saying is when you run into someone with a need like that, make the sacrifice. Make the sacrifice. Be willing to say, I'll give up the thing for the welfare of another person. I'll give up the whatever, time, the resource, whatever it might be, because it's going to call for that. You don't help a man laying beside the road by just throwing a 20 at him. It takes sacrifice. And that in, in that realm... Jesus says the willingness to make a sacrifice, a deed done with the right motives, expressing love, doing what might be uncommon in your culture, staying true to Christ, living this counter kind of way, there's a, there's a beam coming out of this good deed. And it's hitting the eyes of some people, perhaps. Or it's salt and it's working in and, it's, and people's taste buds are getting hit with this thing. He says, they, they will glorify your heart when they see your good deeds. Good deeds. Done for goodness sake alone. In that ground of the service act of a good deed done for another person, things are coming out of that that have an impact in the world around you. You may be unaware of it. That's fine. But when you live that kind of life, you're living a life of impact. That's where Jesus wants us. That is the sweet spot of life. Challenge for this week. Journal down every day and think through every day. How many good deeds can I do for people in my life today? You'll be more aware of good deed opportunities. You'll look for them more. And you will feel what it feels like to engage. I mean, I know many of you do this already. But practice this and, and put, it, put it as an emphasis this week and say, how many good things can I do for others today? How many needs can I recognize and how many good things can I do in moments all along my day, in my normal day that I'm doing? And here's what I'm saying. I, I bet you'll get addicted to it. Because Jesus says that right there is the life. 
Your mind isn't on you. It's not on what you're getting. It's all about people in my life and how can I be a benefit and how can I do good to others? How can I make sacrifices for the welfare of other people in my life all the time in little ways? How can I be involved and contribute to the welfare of humanity through the gospel by the power of Jesus? You're living in that. That's the slot. You want your life to count in a massive way for the kingdom of God. That's the slot of life. And that's being a blessing to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we just uh, just want to marinate in those thoughts. And, and uh, Lord, I just did the best I could to try to unpack as much as I could the sense and the heart of your words. And Spirit of God, take it. Take it and, and, and work it into the fabric of our lives, into our hearts and our minds. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Uh, Lord, empower us with courage where we need courage. But Lord, help us. Fill us today fresh and anew, even this week, that we begin to really walk in this more fully than ever before. We commit that to you in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Stand with me. Let's sing together.